Hello and welcome to Talk Spooky to Me, the Ghost Story Guys mail show. I'm Brenna Store. I'm Paul Bestel. And this is our chance to hear from you, our listeners. Paul, my friend, I have a very important question for you. This isn't in the script. You're not going to know what, I, what I'm about to ask you. <laughs> I was recently listening to your show, and you were speaking to Ruth Roper Wild. Yes. And the topic of Brill Cream came up, which is, of course, a, a hair product. And you mentioned that in the past, you as a young man employed Brill Cream in your hair. Yes. And I must know, are there photos and how can I see them as quickly as possible? Uh, there may be some. I'll have to have a look. Fantastic. I was so, I wrote, I was driving. I was going to the grocery store and I was listening to it on, in the car. <laughs> and I thought, I, I pulled over so I could write down Brill Cream photos of Paul. I must know. <laughs> yes, yeah, when I had highlights and things. Amazing. <laughs> I'm imagining you wearing those big Zuba pants too, you know, like full 90s. Oh, no, no. It was before, well before that. Oh, okay. This is when I was still at school. The t I'll be honest, the timeline of your life baffles me. So when are we talking time-wise? 88, 89. Oh, okay. Okay, man. Yeah. Chunky cords, denim shirt. Nice. And Brill Cream and all that hair. <laughs> yeah. Oh, folks. <laughs> If we can find those photos, I, my life will be complete. I can return to my home planet, satisfied that I have done my work here on Earth. Anyways, Paul, how are you doing? I'm all right. I've spent an inordinate amount of time this week laughing at a Facebook post in my local area. I must know. What, what's it about? So we had the um, air ambulance for Sheffield needed to land, and it was trying to land in our park. So one of the local residents went, oh, look at this, took a picture of it and put it on the local... Facebook group for, for Mearsbrook. And uh, somebody went, where's this? And <laughs> somebody replied, in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> and then this person that had said, where is this? Got really arsy going, that's not funny. That's not funny. I'm really worried now. What if, what if somebody I know is seriously hurt? And everybody's oh, like, for God's sakes. what? Do you worry every time you see an ambulance? Do you go jump in a taxi and go, follow that ambulance? Honestly, instead of just like laughing for asking a silly question, they then went, oh, I'm a victim. Oh, Piss yeah. Well, you, you got to double down because if you look stupid, you got to try and switch it around. So now, no, no, I'm, I'm not stupid. I'm a victim. You have to feel bad for me. Yeah. So I've just, I've just been sat sometimes this week and then all of a sudden I've just thought, in the sky <laughs> and just chuckled to myself because even now it's making me smile thinking about yeah where else would you see a helicopter <laughs> so other than filling my boots with horrific classics that's that's what's kept me going most of this week all right there has been nothing quite so wonderful uh, at my end although <laughs> we did have a, a very very well, i thought very funny thing happen so i was invited to orangeville ontario to do their ghost walk. They've actually just started this, this haunted Orangeville ghost walk there. I think they were in their fourth week when I got there. Uh, and I was invited by Tracy, who's one of our listeners and is one of their guides. So drove out to Orangeville, it's about a two hour drive. And uh, afterwards, Tracy wanted to tell me some of her, her ghost stories. But Orangeville's a smallish place and you know all the coffee shops were closed by the time the tour was over, but there was a bar open. It was open for, according to the, the internet, it was open for another hour. So went there, ordered some food, sat down she starts telling me her stories and karaoke night starts <laughs> directly across from us she's trying to tell me these stories and now she's having to shout 
over a very drunk man absolutely taking apart Mac the Knife. And it kept going. Because, like, sometimes karaoke, there's, like, sneaky karaoke. Because you think karaoke is going to be shit, right? Like, that's, I always thought that was kind of the point of karaoke, you know? But every now and again, some bastard turns up to karaoke and does a really good job and just kind of makes us all feel like shit. Like, I, I used to, there's a little pub in Grindrot in BC. It's out in the country. And I remember stopping by there with a friend of mine one night. And it just happened to be, yeah, happened to be karaoke. So we sat down and they were great, the bastards. They were just all, every one of them to a man, just note perfect. And we thought, well, this is, this is horseshit. Uh, this was not the case. The, uh, at karaoke night in London, in Orangeville, Ontario, it was, it was rough. There was one point actually when, when Tracy was telling me a story, I quite literally, I froze because the pitch of the singer's voice reached such a level that my brain just shut down. (laughs) It it just, it turned off. This could be weaponized. Uh, but we still, again, we had a great time. I really enjoyed the Haunted Orangeville walking tour. And we, again, Trace and I had a, had a hoot. And it, it's a story that neither of us will ever forget, possibly because the trauma has been just seared into our ears. <laughs> but, it's a very uh, good, very quick way to make me leave a pub. Karaoke? Mm-hmm. If we'd had anywhere else to go, we would have left. But every single pub there closed at nine, although it turned out that, and I think it's just because we died and we were in hell, this pub was supposed to close at nine and it didn't. Why would you close at nine? Maybe that's when the frogs start falling from the sky and devouring passers-by. I don't know. It was baffling. How strange. We used to have the half ten shutting here on a Sunday, but now we just drink all all the time. (laughs) Now, and it's gone really well for England. Everything's been great since then. 25 years of 24-hour drinking, and look at us. Gone to hell in a handcart. Storms every week. Yeah, we were supposed to have a guest tonight on the show, and he was not able to make it uh, because he's in the UK, and the storms are going to stop him from getting home till after midnight. So hopefully we'll have a chat with him next week. And uh, I also had a chance to sit down with our listener Zoe and her boyfriend, Mike. We got to cool. hang out. Yeah. Uh, we met up at a, a brewery not far from my place. So it's, it's really cool. I got, I've got to meet three listeners recently. because I also got to meet Teresa about a couple weeks back. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. All right. And of course, if you want to meet up, if you are in Sheffield or London, Ontario, or nearish to either of those places, and you want to meet either me or Paul for a, a beer or a coffee, you know, shoot us a message, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. If we can make it happen, we will. We can't promise anything, of course, but we certainly will try. We love meeting up with our listeners. We love getting to know you guys. It's always a hoot. You guys always have great stories to tell, great, great spooky stories. So again, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, if we can meet up with you, we will. All right, Paul, who we got up first today? So first up is Gus, who says, I was listening to the latest episode, and the bit about spring Jack reminded me of this. And this is a link to an NPR piece from October 1st, 2021, entitled, A Ninja with a Sword Assailed a U.S. Army Special Operations Unit in California. Now, I'm just going to read the first paragraph here. It seems unlikely, but it did indeed happen. A man, quote, wearing full ninja garb, attacked members of a U.S. Army Special Operations Unit in the middle of the night in the California desert, setting off a scramble for safety and resulting in at least two injuries, according to police and other records. Uh, A man was tased, deservedly so. And I, I gotta say, Paul, my first introduction to the modern world of swords came because of England, because Nick, of course, worked for the police when I met her, 
And she said it was not uncommon for people because guns were hard to get in England at the time. I think they're tragically a little easier to get now. But they would use, as she calls them, samurai swords to rob stores and people. And I just thought that was such an odd thing. I think it just speaks of our ingenuity and resourcefulness. I I would say ram raids more speak to your ingenuity and resourcefulness. Well, you know. It's uh, it's one of those things. It's it's something I've I've seen and I've witnessed myself in uh, in Newcastle. I saw a, a young juvenile running down the street, slashing cars with a samurai sword randomly at half eleven at night. One one time I was there. If I, I was going to have a conversation with anyone who's seen a samurai sword attack, it would be Paul Bestel. The only other weird weapon type incident I remember, other than the time somebody on PCP tried to kill us all in a pub. Um, was a, a man who had taken too much Colombian marching powder who jumped off a pub roof with two hatchets going, Come on then! <laughs> uh, which, was, which was very interesting to watch for a bit. The things you've seen. So with, with the, the samurai kid, did anyone, I guess you don't try and stop a guy if he's running with a samurai sword. Did he just like, kind of run off into the middle distance? Well, he'd clearly had an argument with his parents because he, he came hurtling out of the house going, I fucking hate you! And then sort of jumped onto their car, denting the bonnet and the roof, and with waving this sword around, and then ran off down the street, slashing cars into the night. A catcher in the rye for our modern era. It was a strange night all around because we'd gone to see Oasis at the Newcastle Arena. On the way there, we went through a, a, a part of Newcastle called Biker. And uh, we were we the uh, the tram was attacked by uh, apple wielding thugs. So they were, they were chucking apples at the train. Yes, broken Britain. My day, it was it'd be a rock. That's right. What have we come to? They're just using fruit now, Ugh. not Molotov cocktails. Kids are even, getting soft. even weapons have to be recyclable these days. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But that's Newcastle. You never know what's around the next corner there. And apparently, here in uh, Ridgecrest, California, there was a man with a samurai sword lurking around the corner. So, Gus, I don't know why you know that, but that was amazing. Thank you. Yes, I like it when later in the article it says, he said to an officer, do you know who I am? And the man said, no. All right, so next up is from Elwyn. Elwyn says, hello, love the podcast. Hope you guys are doing well. I know you're very busy and obviously cannot remember your every episode, but I was wondering if you can think of any specific episode that has a larger focus on orbs. I've been trying to explain them to Mida and he wants to listen to a podcast on them. Mida is a school principal and found one on the school security camera, only to learn that his friend who works at the oldest school in town has seen hundreds on their cameras that move with intelligence, so likely not dust. I've been going through your episodes, but there is much content, so I thought I'd shoot off this email. All good if you can't remember or don't have time to respond. Thanks for such an awesome podcast and all the supportive things you and Paul always say. Uh, and Elwin, I, I don't know is the honest answer. I don't think we, we've never done a show just on orbs because I, I don't really think much of orbs and I, I think Paul's kind of on the same page there. I know like the, the, the very first LA episode way, way back, there was a story with an orb. I think that's because that was one of the first ones that wasn't just clearly dust. I think that's why it always sticks in my head. Uh, but I, no, I can't think of a sp- a specific episode. Although, coincidentally, Paul, I noticed that someone put in the, uh, that someone commented on one of my posts in the Facebook group. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Ghost Story Guys, finally started a group, you can come join us on Facebook. We'd love to have you. So I, periodically, I'll watch a horror movie and I'll post, you know, the poster and talk a little bit about it. 
and I had talked about The Haunting of the Queen Mary, which I'd seen a little while ago, and someone commented just today with what appears to be a screen grab from that film showing an orb, and they were asking whether we thought it was, you know, like something that caught on film or whether it was intentional. And I mean, I of course assume it's intentional. If it's in a feature film, someone has watched that, that scene a hundred times in the edit. You know, the director knows every square inch of that scene, so I'm, I'm assuming it was intentional. But um, yeah, sort of an interesting coincidence as far as timing goes. Mm. No, we've not really touched on them, really. I mean, we, we, we kind of went in a similar direction the first time Brandon joined us because we were talking about Will-o'-the-Wisps and Fae, fae Lights. But um, I'm not sure. I'd have, to, um, I'd have to have a look at it to, uh, to see what the description is in regards to the, to the visual because, like you say, the vast majority of orb sightings are, are dust particles or insects being caught on, on digital recording equipment. So. I seem to recall someone explained that you started seeing more orbs as soon as, as soon as cameras got small enough that the flash was moved closer to the lens or yeah. to the viewfinder. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, it's mostly just a function of technology. Again, not to say that it's not impossible that, that there could be intelligent life in, in what your father's seeing, but uh, yeah, I, I can't think of a specific episode where we've covered it. Yes. At least they're not rods. Rods? Yeah, there was a whole thing about rods about 30 years ago where people were taking pictures like in the early days of digital cameras and people said, oh, these are intelligent creatures. And I think the majority of them were sort of things like fireflies. Right. Oh, yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's stuff like this that sometimes makes me wonder about EVP. You know, maybe there's just the audio version of orbs that we just, you know, I, again, I, I've heard some EVPs that I think are compelling, but there is this part of me that wonders maybe Maybe it's not what we think it is, and it's just some... Because it, they were more common, I think, on analog shit. But I, I don't know. I, I could be talking on my ass there. I mean, EVP, I've heard some that it's either it's real or it's a fake. There's no, nothing in between. It can't be, you know... It's not a strange noise or, or wood or the wind or whatever making a sound that sounds like something. You can hear what they're saying clear as day. Yeah. Uh, funny enough, I, I, someone on the subject of EVPs, I... I posted this on Instagram. I think I posted it to our story, so it's probably gone now, but someone posted a video of these people chanting something, and they had five, five, maybe four or five different things it could be. And the people, they said, you know, what do you think this is that they're chanting? And what's interesting is it's what they're saying is just vague enough that if you look at each thing, at each line, and listen, you can hear them say it. So you can, if it says like, you know, the tuba is too small, for example, whatever, whatever, like every, you look at every, every single thing on the list. If you think about it while you're listening to it, you can make it sound like that in your head. You know, it's sort of this great example of how moldable our perception can be. And, and really kind of, again, put to me, uh, it, to me, put the lie to a lot of bad EVP. Again, I think there is some genuine compelling EVP. You know, you've had your own experiences with, you know, the Estes method, for example. But um, I do wonder about some of them because there are times like I, I started watching uh, the Afterlife Investigations, mm -hmm. the documentary, and I mean, it was interesting. I, I don't know enough about it to say that it's either accurate or not, but there was, I think, some EVP shown and I thought, I don't think that says what you say that says, you know? <laughs> and, and I mean, sure, if I look at you saying like, hi, mommy, while I'm hearing it, then sure, I get it. But as this thing has shown, you know, it, your perception is very 
influenceable. So I, I, a lot of some, some of them, I think, I do wonder. Next is from Hillary. Hi, Paul and Brennan. I'm so close to being caught up. I've just finished Spirits of the Earth. I expect my emails will spread out now that I'm not listening to five or eight episodes a week. I was listening to the end of this episode tonight, and I'm reading Fahrenheit 451 right now. And it occurs to me that maybe those people who could get along with all this world's noise and consumption and the stuff are readers. As I said in the comments to Luke's Facebook post about time, the reason books were burned started with time. That time spent reading or thinking or having philosophical debate was time better spent doing something else. And if you're focused on consuming and the noise of life, maybe you're more firmly grounded in this world. And if you long for space and quiet away from that, you're more closely connected to the other world. I don't know, but thank you for reading. I don't know about connection to the other world, but I mean, you can sure say that uh, there is a connection between books, reading, thinking, and the inability to impose uh, order on people. I mean, always be suspicious of people who want to start burning books. I was actually just listening to a podcast, Paul, and they were saying that uh, they were talking about the insane, about the insane irony of places banning Fahrenheit 451. <laughs> Yeah, show, show me somebody who's never read that book. Right. What, what are your thoughts? I think reading is one of those things that some people just don't seem to grasp the power it has over people and just presume that if you're reading that you're not actually doing anything, which I've never understood. That There seems to be this correlation between, oh, you're reading a book, so you're clearly not busy then. I'm just going to talk to you. Well, no, I'm reading something. Can you not see I am holding something to read? Therefore, that means I want to read this, not have a conversation. So, and th- then you is- have to get the book and hit them with it <laughs> so that's until a- they stop talking. Is that a thing people do? They're like, oh, you're clearly not busy because you're reading? Oh, yeah. Really? What? Of course I'm busy. I'm, I'm focused on something. Why would I not be? I am baffled by that. I mean, It's like when you've got your earphones in and people start talking to you. Like, I'm sorry, I'm listening to something. I mean, I've definitely seen some greasy dudes do that. You know, I, I've seen like, uh, I was, remember I was on the train in Montreal earlier this year and this girl had her headphones in and she was reading and this guy clearly had something written on a card that he got from some dipshit pickup artist and just like slid it into her field of vision over top of what she was reading. And I, I think if for no other reason than that, some people should be gifted the mutant power of laser vision because she should have just burned through his skull without, with her, with her, her turbo eyes. Yeah. Well, you've got to be careful as well, because there are, there are those extreme readers as well, that if you ever are on social media and somebody will say, oh, what's your favourite film or, or favourite TV series? Somebody will always comment, I don't watch things like that, I, I read books. Two, two sides of the same coin. That's a subset of the dipshit who says, I only read nonfiction because I only concern myself with things that are real. Like, no, get out of here, out of the pool, go home. Well... Print is dead. <laughs> that's only going to make sense once you hear our interview on the TV Trivia Podcast out in December. So that's a call forward. <laughs> I can see the future. Again, if anyone can, I believe it will be Paul Damien Bestel. Well, why my middle name is what it is. <laughs> well, I get, well, that's one reason. All right, so next up is Kimberly. Kimberly says, I am beyond excited that you have a gin episode in the works. I lived in the Middle East for seven years and might have to get around to sending you some stories, one of them being my own experience. 
I continue to do a lot of research on them and am, like you and the good folk, Brennan, a fearful slash respectful believer in their existence. I couldn't pretend to have any sort of answer to the foot question, incredible story by the way, but I do have a thought. They are famous for their shape-shifting abilities. If one was in a human form, could that allow a maiming but still indestructible form? Or at least one that can't be burned? I guess that still leaves a lot of weird loopholes, but it is a weird, unknowable topic. And yeah, Kimberly, that was kind of my read too. I just thought, as we, as we were sort of speculating towards the end of that episode, maybe, maybe they can be hurt by concussive forces, but they can't be burned. I mean, like you said, it's fundamentally unknowable. We, we can't really know, and unless one of them wants to tell us. Uh, please don't. <laughs> you know, or if you do, find me in the daytime, like at the gym or at the bar or something. Don't, don't come to the bedroom at three in the morning. Please don't be that guy or that gin. Please don't. Yeah. Because we had, we had a hair-raising moment in the early hours earlier this week. Oh, really? About 1 a.m. And uh, we were just closing down for the night, getting ready. Only for Julie to scream at the top of her lungs. Oh, God. Because uh, she'd had a dream. And, uh, and it was, a, well, it wasn't a dream. It was a nightmare. And, uh, and she screamed so loud, she woke herself up. <laughs> okay, well, that works. Yes, we were all a little perturbed for a moment. We basically just stood there. Me and the dog, staring at the door, wondering what may come through. But thankfully, it was just Julie to tell us she'd had a bad dream. Did I tell you about the weird dream I had? And I kind of woke up not screaming, but I woke up gasping? No. So this was about a week ago. I, uh, I, I had a dream, and in the dream, I was talking to this couple I used to know in Revelstoke. Uh, they're divorced now, but in the dream, they're still together. And we were. it was actually quite a nice dream. We were planning to take a trip together. We were looking at all this stuff. We were just spending a lot of time around each other. And I was really quite happy. But then there was a cat. It was a, a gray or black cat in the dream. And the, the, the fellow, the husband of the couple, he, he started being not very nice to this cat. He was like handling it quite roughly. And at one mm-hmm. point he was squeezing it. And I, I finally said to him, I said, Hey man, don't do that. Don't squeeze cats. Don't squeeze cats. And, and the cat looked at me and it said, you need to get the fuck out of here. Right? Is that because that cat was going to fuck him up? Well, I hope so. (laughs) I don't want you to see me at my worst. Get out, brother. (laughs) Brilliant. Potty mouth cats. Well, to be fair, if cats could talk, I I would expect they would talk like that all the time, actually. Oh, yeah. Our next message is from Sharif. Hi, Brennan and Paul. On episode 137, Those Who Watch You Sleep, back in May 2022, Paul mentioned a Canadian show whose name he couldn't remember, one involving sending logs down rivers. The show was called Beachcombers. Ah, of course. I remember watching it in the 1980s in Kuwait. (laughs) Honestly, I found it rather boring. As a sci-fi and fantasy-obsessed teenager growing up in a country with limited access to either, Beachcombers was the last show I wanted to watch. Bombastic American shows about vigilantes and blowing up anything that comes near you? Yes. Slow blue-collar drama in the boonies of Canada? No. Please, for the love of God, no. Okay, back to listening to every frigging piece of content in the Ghost Story Guys back catalogue, possibly the third time. Or is it a fourth? Cheers, Sharif. Oh man, Sharif, that is a a blast from the past. I (sighs) never watched Beachcombers because Canadians don't watch Canadian television, but I I remember the name uh, from a very particular point in my youth. Yes, it was on over here 
very oddly. We had some very strange Canadian. We had that and the kids kids of Degrassi Street or wherever it's Oh, called. Degrassi, hi. Degrassi, bad bloody no. <laughs> yeah, again, no one in Canada watched that either. We, we're so bad for not consuming our own art. It is terrible. I, like, Nikki, uh, I don't know if Due South was explicitly a Canadian show, but obviously it was set in Canada. And uh, Nikki, just when I first met her, she just adored that show. And I had I was aware of it, but I had never even so much as seen a full episode. Yeah. No, my mum loves it too. Really? Yeah. I think it was on the BBC here. That, yeah, I think that I think I remember Nick saying that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you had any more great television exports around the world? Canada? I mean, we've had, apparently Republic of Doyle is popular in some places. I think it's filmed in Nova Scotia. There was a one with Adam Beach, the plain one. I don't remember what that was called. I know that did well in some places. But again, Da Vinci's Inquest was apparently popular. Never watched it, but apparently very popular. Nicholas Campbell did very well for himself. This has been... I have no idea what you're talking about. Hey, I barely know, because again, no one here watches them. (laughs) Oh, of course, you've got um, Murdoch Mysteries. We do? That's massive, isn't it? I think he's had like 19 seasons of the show. Is that a Canadian show? I, I think so. It's set in Canada. You know... I'll be damned, yeah, it takes place in Toronto. I had no idea. For some reason, I thought that was a UK show. It's got a lot of um, UK actors in it. Oh, okay, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. I'll be damned. Genuinely had no idea Murdoch Mysteries was Canadian. Mm. Mm. Like I said, it's amazing. we don't watch our own programming. <laughs> if, you want to, if you want to succeed in Canada, you have to leave Canada, because we, we won't appreciate you until someone else sells you to us. That's, that's just the way it is. William Shatner, James Cameron, Neil Young, Jim Carrey. You live here, we don't give a shit. You move somewhere else, someone else validates you for us. They vet you for us. Oh, yeah, well, you're in. You're a big deal now. Greg Rosetsky. <laughs> now, d- did I tell you that? <laughs> what? That is, how, that is how Nick refers to, Gre- to Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> Greg Rosetsky? That's exactly what she says. Even I know the difference between an ice hockey player and one of... England's greatest tennis players. Oh, so he was a tennis he player. Pretended. Greg, yeah, yeah, he was. He was the, our first man that got to a, a a slam in decades in the 90s. He got to the US Open final, Greg. See, I thought she just pulled the name out of her ass because whenever she refers to Wayne Gretzky, she always calls him Greg Rosetsky. She acts like he's, because I'll say, oh, yeah, he's famous. And she goes, it's Greg Rosetsky. I don't know who he is. And so, I, again, I thought that was just a made up name, but that's a real person. Yeah, yeah, he was a Canadian who switched allegiance and became British for tennis. Oh, wow. So th- this joke has multiple levels. All this time I thought she was just regular fucking with me, but she's like quantum fucking with me. 4D chess fucking with me. Yeah, like Lennox Lewis. What? Lennox Lewis boxed for Canada at the Olympics. Okay, again, <laughs> like I said, we don't know. We don't ex- Do you succeed in Canada? Not in Canada, you don't. Not until you leave. <laughs> And then he, he turned professional and said, right, I'm British again, because he grew up in London. I think he, was, he emigrated when he was six to Canada. So at least he was born here. When I think Lennox Lewis, I think of an English accent. Like, I think of a London accent. That's, so I just assumed he was British. Yeah, yeah. No, he boxed 88 Olympics for Canada, I think. Son of a bitch. I had no idea. Folks, again, you, this is the, the curse of a Canadian entertainer, the Canadian, the Canadian athlete. If you, if you are here, again, we do not give a shit unless maybe you die. I th- and I think like, there's a handful of exceptions. Maybe Bruce Coburn. Getty Lee. Getty Lee. Yeah, exactly. But even them, I think it's more they were validated by uh, people outside of Canada 
And then we kind of went, oh, we've been told they're cool now, so it's okay. This is why I hold out hope for myself. I just got to wait for, you know, enough people outside of Canada to say, hey, that guy's cool. And then I will, I will be elevated to uh, maybe not, maybe not uh, Paul Gross status. That takes a lot of work. But, you know, I'll uh, maybe like slightly above dishwasher. Perhaps you need to do a, a, a prog rock album with three tracks on it that lasts an hour. I don't think anyone wants to hear that. From me, specifically. Oh, that's all right. I thought you were, you were dissing the, the kings of Rush. No, no, no. I, I, I would be run out of the country if I dissed Rush. <laughs> all right. Next up is from Nikki. Nikki says, hello, Paul and Uncle Brennan. Yes, I'm bringing that up because if <laughs> I feel like it will be like the Clamato. Never leave. <laughs> I also enjoy knowing that it makes every single person feel like they stepped on something squishy. <laughs> To be fair, I'd rather tread in something squishy than drink Clamato, but carry on. <laughs> Nikki goes on to say, I saw Dana and Greg Newkirk live at the Stanley Hotel in Colorado recently. Absolutely loved it. So glad to see their names coming up more and more in the paranormal field. I also did something I've been waiting to do for a long time and never had, purchased a recommended book. In your episode Terror in the Skies, you told the story of an airport that wasn't there. It was from the book Ghosts of the Air by Martin Caden. I loved that story and thought of my best friend who was a pilot for work and leisure. What can be better than ghosts and planes? As it turns out, a lot can. Brennan, you weren't, <laughs> you weren't kidding when you said there is a lot of airplane talk. I can't seem to read more than one chapter before falling asleep. It's drier than a popcorn fart in Death Valley. <laughs> My friend will love it. Also curious if you'd read any of his other 50 books. Are they too like peeling off your eyelids and stepping in front of a fan? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for bringing all the weird shit to the light and making it not so dark. And Nikki, thank you very much. Um, yeah, I, in fairness to Martin Caden, I mean, if you're publishing that many books, you're obviously doing something, right? People are responding to them. It, it goes to the air is very dry. There is some really interesting stories in it. And I, I, at some point, I'm probably going to maybe pull some more stories out for a second uh, Terror in the Skies episode. But yeah, it's just dry. I've never read anything else Caden has done. Have you, Paul? Uh, no, I haven't. I only was aware of that book because I'd heard of it and then obviously heard the interview he did with Art Bell 30-odd years ago. Right, 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 yeah. So, uh, again, yeah, we, we don't... Uh, I don't I, yeah, I don't know, Nikki. Um, the, sometimes that's going to happen, right? Like, that's, that's one of the, the downsides to, well, I guess, to researching any topic is sometimes some of the people who are going to write about it, and sometimes the people who have got really good stuff are going to be, you know, it's going to be a little dry. Like, there's... I, I won't say who, but... I, there's one author I've read, uh, one of his books, and um, it's bad. It's super bad. Th there's some really interesting stuff in there, but holy shit, getting through it was painful. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyways, I won't say any more than that, but that just happens sometimes, right? Like, Is it Stephen King? <laughs> All right, and down to our last email. Catherine writes, I recently moved into my friend's house as a tenant. Years ago, they let me know that I wasn't imagining two ghosts in the house. One is a man who is just a background figure, but you can feel his presence. And the other is a shadow cat. I had noticed both over the years, so it was nice to know. I've noticed two things since my move-in. First, the cat that I noticed out of the corner of my eye, streaking across the living room at times, has started making himself at home in my bedroom. I've seen him curl up in a corner and walk into a wall before disappearing. I mentioned this to my best friend housemate and she said she thinks the cat was an outdoors cat and my room started life as an enclosed porch 
so it makes sense that he would make himself comfortable there. With the person I've just thought of as Sir, I've never had anything beyond a watchful presence feeling. Well, two days after I arrived, I was lying in bed. My room has a door that leads directly to the outside, and I heard a rapping on the glass of that door. I sat up straight and shone a light outside. Nothing there. Half an hour later, three knocks on the glass happened again. I mentioned this to my same friend, and she said that's another thing that's happened before. Years ago, a friend needed a place to crash for a couple of weeks, and she heard knocking on that very same door. It never happens with just an overnight guest, but when it's obvious that someone will be there for a while, he'll announce himself by knocking on the glass of the door, so they know he's keeping an eye on them. She says it's most likely the father of a family who lived here decades ago, and he's protective. So, thank you, Catherine. That's really nice. And I, I wanted to save that one for last because it was just uh, one of those pleasant interactions with the paranormal that we don't, we don't get nearly enough of on this show. It's interesting how you can sometimes see a paranormal entity change its behavior. I like those kinds of stories. Is it because they are becoming more comfortable with the person that's seeing them more? Or is it the environment that is enabling that particular piece, person to see more? Or what? what causes that kind of thing? I find those kind of encounters very fascinating because it's the, it's the opposite of a standard haunting where it, it's very intermittent and you're not really sure when it happens or anything. Whereas this seems to be, I'm not sure, brave is probably not the right word, more visible for whatever reason. Yeah, well, the thing I really like about it, man, is it, it. So many of the stories we hear about ghosts, they just they revolve around this idea of of like stasis, of being repeating. You know, this person is trapped here. This person is, you know, they cannot escape here. In fact, um, you know, the guest we're going to have on next uh, talk spooky, which I, I won't give away who it is yet, but I was watching one of their videos. They're they're quite well known for the videos they make, and one of the videos talks about this this funeral home where the, uh, the spirit of the owner is, is said to be trapped. And they actually talk about like sealing it up so he can't get out. And I thought, well, what a fucked up thing is that? I might've misunderstood. I have to rewatch it. But uh, so many of these stories just resolve around, revolve around this idea of, again, of just like being stuck in one place and repeating or, or like these sort of automatons. You know, they're either human beings who are stuck in one place or they're just these echoes of people who used to be that just repeat and repeat and repeat. And I, I really love the idea of something that evolves and thinks and is not stuck necessarily, but chooses to stay for reasons all its own. I find that really reassuring in a way that maybe some of these traditional paranormal stories are not. Yeah, or maybe there's a troll hiding in the skirting board and the cat's protecting them. That, that could be in two. I mean, we can't rule out the troll thesis. I mean, based on tr the film Troll Hunter, you know, that famous documentary, uh, I feel like they would be yes. much larger. Well, you never know. I've, I've never seen a, a, a large troll in, in, in the real world. I've only seen trolls smaller than myself so far. That's no way for you. I, I have seen exactly zero trolls other than the ones on the end of my pen when I was a young child. And let me tell you, if the trolls are going to rise up, the ones who got uh, shafted on the end of my pencil are going to be the ones who come for me first. So I'm hoping that they stay where they are. <laughs> well, of course, there is, there is a, a, a growing theory in European cryptozoology that perhaps trolls aren't trolls. They're 
hairy hominids. Oh, really? Scandinavian Bigfoot. Oh, interesting. So I know there's, um, I think there's an expedition planned in the next couple of years. Really? To uh, do some investigating and see if there's more to the troll mythos than meets the eye. Oh, that's very cool. Again, I, I, this is another Who example knows? of things evolving, and I love that. This idea that, no, we have new ideas about how this works, and we're going to explore that. That is, that's the stuff that gives me life, man. You know, sort of making the future by truly learning more about the past. I find that really inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not beyond the, the, the realms of comprehension, because obviously one of the most famous Scandinavian stories is the, is the, um, is the legend of Beowulf. And uh, it's quite clear what Grendel and Grendel's mum are. They're giant, hairy, man-like beasts. Interesting. So you think, you think Grendel could be some kind of ancient cryptid? I just, I don't know. I just find it odd. Because it's Scandinavia, they don't really have apes in Scandinavia, especially in those times. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, Beowulf's, what, 1,500 years old? Something like that. I, I'm going to have to take your word for that. I, I'm aware it is, it is old. I do not know how old. I think it's a fabulous story, regardless. Um, and and one, of those, um, one of those hero stories where it, it doesn't have a happy ending. Yeah, it, re- it really doesn't. That's a good point. Like Jason and the Golden Fleet, which everybody only knows the cinematic version of that story, not the horrific ending. Remind me. Uh, and Jason finds himself all alone and, and cast out from society and uh, is killed by the decaying wreck of the Argo as it falls on him on the beach as he sits there crying on his own. I, I did not know that's how that ended. Mm-hmm. Crushed by the weight of the past. Yes. Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm not sure. It's, it, it is, I mean, it's one of those, you know, not many people know the full story of, they know the, the golden fleece bit, but they don't know everything else about it. Maybe that's the key to a good legend is, is not knowing how it ends. You know, there's that, that line, it might even just be from a drive-by trucker song, that's where I heard it, but I, I believe it comes from somewhere else, is the, the, the difference between a happy ending and a, and a sad ending is knowing when to roll the credits. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this episode of Talk Spooky to Me. Thank you so much for your stories, for your emails, your comments. Please keep them coming in, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. You can also reach us on Facebook. We're Ghost Story Guys. We also have a group, the Ghost Story Guys. Finally made a group. We're on Instagram as the Ghost Story Guys. And we do have a musical guest, but before we get there, Paul, where can everyone find you online? You can find me alongside my work on the marvellous Ghost Story Guys by looking for Mysteries and Monsters across social media platforms or podcast sites and at mysteriesandmonsters.com. Fabulous. I'm on Instagram, Threads, Blue Sky, and Letterboxd as largely the truth. You can find my other show, Weird Together, where Dr. Joseph Camo, that's right, Joseph, doctor, I said it, where we watch (laughs) independent horror films and talk about them through a sociological lens. It is both more and less nerdy than it sounds, and you can check that out by searching for Weird Together on podcast platforms everywhere, or by checking the show notes for this episode. And our musical guest on this episode is one of our in-house artists. It is, of course, our composer, Rainy Days for Ghosts. Rainy Days for Ghosts is a project of Jerry Smith. Jerry's a film journalist and musician based out of Central California. And uh, since we just missed Halloween for this episode, we're going to play a track from his new EP, Haddonfield. That is, of course, a tribute to the Halloween series, Jerry's favorite series, of which I believe part four is his favorite film. As I mentioned, it's an EP. There are three tracks, and the one we're going to be playing tonight is The Shape. 
And that is the second track from the EP. You can find that on streaming platforms everywhere or at rainydaysforghosts.bandcamp.com. And there is going to be something very cool coming uh, from Jerry soon. As you all know, Jerry has been composing music for us for a little while now, Paul. I actually can't even remember how long it's been. I want to say about a year? Hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Sounds right. I don't know. 2020 to 2022 all blurs into one, so it could be Yeah, a week. no, that's, yeah, it's, it's hard to know. But either way, uh, Jerry has been composing brand new cues for every episode that, or for every main episode at least, and we are going to be launching, it'll be free for patrons and you'll be able to stream it on platforms everywhere. We're going to be launching the Ghost Story Guys soundtrack season by season. So Jerry's going to be compiling those into digital releases. And again, you'll be able to stream them on Spotify, Apple Music, all those places. That's in the pipeline right now. We'll announce that when it happens a little further down the line. But for now, we just want to say thank you for joining us. And we will leave you with Rainy Days for Ghosts and The Shape. <laughs> 